So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We are weak and you are strong. In fact, you have all strength and we are made out of weakness. We are like clay. In fact, we are made from the dust of the ground. And considering we're such and such percent water, about two-thirds water, where water and dust makes clay uh, with the right kind of soil. So, Lord, uh, we pray that we would be the right kind of soil and the right kind of clay, that you would fill us with your glory. For you deserve, you are worthy like no one else is or has ever been or ever will be worthy, and we are most unworthy of you. And so we thank you for giving us even your Son, Please open our eyes to understand the scriptures. Open our ears to hear. Open our minds to understand these scriptures today. And you know that there is nothing I can add to or take away from Romans 8 that would help it or make it uh, any better. So I pray that you would help me to make it clear and that you would help us to, even as you especially did for me, especially yesterday, help me to delight in the word of God uh, even more than I have in a long time. Pray over our church, Lord, that you would cause us to, to delight in your word and that every one of us would read Romans 8 uh, this year and in future years and take great delight in thee. Amen. So, of course, with all those people praying for me, I was so filled with the Spirit and with joy yesterday and with confidence after feeling so incapable all week that uh, by this morning I, I was driving to church and like I could feel pride rising up in me thinking, I've got this. And so thank you to Josiah for your message. That really helped me to get in the spirit. So this is week one out of, I think, two on Romans chapter eight. Um, it's called Christ Condemned Sin in the Flesh, Romans eight, part one. This week we'll talk about how uh, we lose ourselves and find our identity together in Christ and how he condemns our sin. And next week, we'll talk about how uh, he uh, suffered for us and the meaning of suffering in the Christian life and how we are not alone and how he went before us in greater suffering than we have or will experience and how he fellowships with us in our suffering and how in our suffering, we in fact are fellowshipping with him. So this week, the first of two of the great mysteries of the Christian life, sin. And next week, the second of two of the great mysteries in the Christian life, suffering, pain. We have to begin with a refresher in Romans chapter 7. Let's look at um, the definition of one thing first, the law in Romans, when it talks about the law, it's not talking about like U.S. laws or, you know, India laws or local laws. It's talking about the law, which is this, or commonly the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are nicknamed the law. Uh, the law of God is everything that he's spoken out of his mouth, for his word is law in eternity and what he speaks becomes reality, and nothing can ever stop his word from being made flesh and fully manifest, and, and the truthfulness and reality of the framework of the metaphysical world is built from what comes out of God's mouth. The law of God is summarized in the Ten Commandments. 
We know the Ten Commandments. We read them, I think, everybody. And we all know that all of us have broken every one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus made that pretty clear in his Sermon on the Mount. Well, you never committed adultery or you never stole a car, but you're constantly coveting and you're constantly greedy for that which is not given to you. That's all of us. That's the human condition. Unfortunately, that remains the Christian condition. And this is very mysterious because we were saved, yet we need to be saved, and we one day will be saved, and we're being saved. That's biblical language of salvation. So we who are holy need to be saved from the sin that lives in us. What fellowship hath light with darkness? The Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm a Christian. Sin lives in me. I'm a Christian. We are partially sanctified. We are not there yet, but we have received the Holy Spirit in a way and to a degree that we know that we have received adoption and the sanctification that has begun will be finished. Just like when God spoke light into existence and spoke the world into existence, the, the galaxy unfolded. The universe was formed by his word. And all of the things he has spoken will ultimately reach the, their fulfillment in time. And now today we look to the center point of time, the incarnation, atoning death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Point one, sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. That means God's commandments reveal what is good and tell us what is good. And they are of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. There is no fault in his commandments. But I am of the flesh sold under sin. That feels like slavery. But as we're about to see, it's not the whole truth. It's, it's part of the truth. It's one side of the Christian coin. I am sold under sin. I feel like a slave. Before Christ, you were a slave. Now, we are no longer slaves because he has taken our sin and and our shackles upon himself and broken them. I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So this is talking about Christians. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. When the Apostle Paul wrote this, he who is this logical genius and brilliant writer constructing one of the greatest logical arguments ever uh, composed and written at the inspiration of the powerful Holy Spirit, this, the book of Romans. Even he is able to analyze but not fully explain the mystery of sin that lives in the Christian. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you feel that? I can. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Do you get it? I don't want to sin, so something in me 
really does say, this is bad, yet something in me wants to do it and in fact loves it, but is not wholly given over to it, yet I indulge in the sin that I hate. And that's what it's like being a Christian some t- part of the time. Or all the time, it's partly like that. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Brothers and sisters, the biblical view of sin is that I am not my sin. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Dwells means lives in and makes its home there. And this is one of the most terrifying and humbling things about being a Christian. The person who's not a Christian has all these layers of pride to cover up and mask the darkness within my soul, within the non-Christian soul. Once we come to Christ, over the years, for some of us, over long, slow, painful years, very gradually, the layers of pride come off and we come into more reality about the sin that lives inside us. But the biblical view of sin is that I am not my sin. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5:17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So the flesh is, it, flesh means meat, carne, right? It's the, it's the body. There's nothing inherently sinful about my body. There's nothing about the natural or material world and the natural material part of our being that lives and is of this world that is bad inherently. Sin is in the world, everything's tainted with sin, but there's nothing unholy about my hands or eyes in particular, you know, like the, unlike what the, some of the ancient Greeks believed. It's not like the spiritual world and spiritual things and the world of ideas and the human spirit are good and and, but, but our bodies are sinful and we don't look forward to dying so that we can be free of evil bodies because what Jesus says is that it is in the, out of the heart that come evil desires, greed, murder, adulteries, etc., right? So when Paul is talking about the flesh or the body and the body of sin in this text, He's talking about really what's in our heart that finds its expression through our bodies. You get it? So sin lives in my heart and, and 
is somewhat welcome there some of the time if you're a Christian. And the more led by the Holy Spirit who, who lives in my heart and in my body and has command and ownership over me, the more the Christian is led by the Spirit, spirit the more we are functionally sanctified, but we've already been set free from the domination or the enslavement of sin. So all of the righteous laws of God are now able to be fulfilled in us who are only partially sanctified and still have this terrible, uh, terrible wretched flesh in us, right? So I find it to be a law or, or a, a principle that has power. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. One of the marks of being a Christian, one way to test yourself to see if you're uh, a Christian when you're not sure is, do you enjoy reading the scripture? And sometimes it's more of a spiritual discipline with a little joy, and sometimes you, you don't have to be told or try hard. You wake up and you already have the scripture on your mind and you just reach over and pull it over and you're opening it up before you even get out of bed. And if you're really spiritual, you stay in bed a long time on Saturday morning and you read a lot of scripture. I'm just kidding. Um, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, these are members, arms, legs, the parts of my body, the flesh, that through which the sin that lives in my heart is expressed. I see in my members another law or another force, another principle, another motivation, waging war against the law of my mind. You see, Christ controls my mind. My mind, myself, as a Christian, belongs to him. I have an enemy that lives inside of me, but I belong to him. So this passage is for Christians, and that's what this means. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will, save, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Who will save me from this body of death? It's not a desperate cry. Paul knows the answer, and you know the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. We are already liberated from the power of sin, but we are not yet free from the presence of sin. This is a deep conflict that every Christian finds in his life in Christ. Turn to Galatians 3.10. had to pick the Bible with small print and take all my notes in fine point pencil. Galatians 3.10 For all 
who rely on works of the law are under a curse. This is the religious persons of this world, the religious churchgoers of this world, those who read the law of God and pride rises up within them and they say, I can do that and I'm going to do that. And instead of failing like everyone does at perfectly obeying God's law or measuring up to his standard, which is infinite perfection, and, and crying out to him and saying, I was so wrong. Have mercy on me and help me. Forgive me and empower me. Mercy and grace. I need both of it. I need you. I need you to come and be a, a, an in-between between my heavenly father and me. I need a mediator. That's the cry of every Christian's heart. But a lot of churchgoers never cry out in, in that painful kind of shame-filled cry, help me, I'm naked. I, I can't cover myself. I tried to make some leaves and they withered. The Christian's cry is, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus has. And Jesus is empowering me to want to and be capable of doing the law of God with right motivations every day. For all who, but all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Um, Anvesh, would you write on the screen our media recommendation for this week? a song called Embracing Accusation by Shane and Shane. One of the two Shanes of this uh, uh, band was reading this verse, Galatians 3.10, and was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I, I'm under a curse. And really resonated with, with that scripture, because it is scripture. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And then he wrote this song. And if you search for this song and listen to it this week, I recommend it. Also search the lyrics and read the lyrics as you listen to it uh, so you can follow the, follow the logic. It's a, it's a good distillation of much of what we're trying to uh, uh, find today in Romans 8. In the song, the author uh, finds that the solution is to embrace his accusation and yet let it slough off of him onto the Lord who has received upon himself the curse of the law and who took our curse from us for us so that we could be united with him in a death like his and raised with him into a life like his. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not written to people who don't sin 
or to people who've never tried to not sin and found that they couldn't. It's for those who regularly struggle with sin. It's for Christians who, who repeatedly sin, even though we want to not sin, we also, we find, kind of want to sin too. And sometimes that thing in us wins out over the holiness to which he has called and ordained that should come to pass in us and one day eventually will for his glory. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Turn to Revelation 12.10. Because this, this idea, no matter how hard I try, I'm still under a curse. No matter how well I do, I still fail in this area. This, this thing of condemnation is like a banner over some people's lives. And if that's you today, hear this. Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Christians, when did that happen? You cannot, you may not say, that's in the book of Revelation. That'll happen at the end of time. The scripture says, now. When? Now, it's not a whippy, now. It's a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power, that's empowerment. That's grace to, to overcome sin on a daily basis. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. We used to be liable to the judgment of God, and in the courtroom of heaven, Satan, before we were in Christ and saved and delivered and rescued and ransomed by Christ's life, Satan may, could one day have accused us before God, and he could have been right. Now, Satan still accuses us every day, and he's not right. And the judge in the courtroom in heaven does not listen to him. Because when the gavel falls, and I tell you it has fallen, God says, not guilty. That's justification. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation. That's no condemnation, and it's justification. Not guilty. Sin, guilt for sin, future judgment you would have received for the sins you have committed in the body and the sinfulness you have inherited, we have inherited from Adam our father. We died, we died with Christ. We're no longer children of Adam though we are descended from him in the flesh. Now we are children of this this new man, this Christ Jesus, and we were buried with him in baptism and raised to a life of justification free from condemnation, and we're about to see adoption. So when did Romans, uh, Revelation 12.10 take place? 
When was the accuser of the brothers who accuses us day and night before our God, when was he thrown down? At the end of time? But what does the scripture say? Now. But this is a long time ago because that was already written. So he already was thrown down. Jesus said, Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. If you still believe that passage in Revelation is for the future, stop it. Yeah, we actually have to repent of that. I, I have repeatedly repented of, of course, my pride and my self-condemnation because it grows out of the same thing in my heart, sin. And when you start to say, hey, I'm being super critical and condemning of others, or hey, I feel super ashamed and condemned by others, or hey, I'm the greatest, and I've got this, all of this, and you start getting bigger and your nose grows long, and <laughs> you start imagining yourself like Nebuchadnezzar, I think I'll make a statue of myself, you know, so many cubits tall, and put it in the middle of the plane and make it out of gold and call everybody to come and worship me, you know? Like, that's always happening in our hearts. Nebuchadnezzar is like the prototypical sinful man in the flesh. This passage in Romans 7, 8, is for Christians who were totally in the flesh and totally hostile to God and now still have a flesh but belong to God and who struggle with sin. And every day that old man, that old thing in us, that, that darkness, that thing that used to have the ability to control us and keep all of us completely opposed to and hostile to God, but now still is hostile to God and lives in us, but ultimately will not have its way and is going to be stomped because the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And with him, death and all of the sin that lives in you now. Don't worry. So the mystery of the Christian life, you know, there is sin that lives in me, which if you have any idea what sin is, is terrifying. If you've ever watched some kind of awful crime show or, you know, horror thing, the same thing that is like that darkness that all these bad criminals do, the same kind of thing, though maybe to a greater or lesser degree of expression through your body relative to theirs, lives in you. It is that bad. And you're a Christian. So if you've met a Christian who's had a fall from, a fall from grace, uh, you know, that's your, that's your brother. That's your sister. And this is one of the mysteries of the Christian condition. There is sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The accuser of the brothers has been hurled down forever. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, past tense. Matthew 28, 18. Because... Because here's the thing we do, fellow Christians. We say, Satan is alive and well in planet Earth. And by that we mean he's on the loose, he's powerful, no Christian can stand up against him, and I hope I don't meet him because he'll destroy me. That is fantasy. If you've ever read that, in a book about the end times or seen it in a movie series about the end times, that aspect of that is fantasy. It is so evil. It's evil because it presupposes that Christ's atoning death 
and resurrection and clothing our uh, shameful nudeness with his true righteousness so that we are fully clothed and presentable as, like the most presentable a person ever gets, one might say is like the day a bride is presented to her groom, right? She's like as pretty as she's, she's ever been, so to speak, right? And, uh, and that's the picture of you. No, that's the picture of you, us Christians. Totally presentable, like more presentable than usual. That's the church, the bride of Christ. It doesn't say the wife of Christ, does it? It says the bride of Christ. Because in Christ, 2 Corinthians uh, 2.14, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, that doesn't mean like wimpy, generally failing. That means triumph. A triumph happens when the battle was already won. And then the, the, the conquering general goes on a victory march. That's a triumph. He leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, through us, wretched man that I am, through us spreads the, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Only our God can do that. And God can do that. And God is doing that with you. That's why he calls you the bride. That's why he calls us the bride. Praise the Lord. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What does that mean, law of sin and death? That means the, the power of sin that is at, still at work in us, that tendency to sin, that affection or love or gravitation towards sin that still lives in us and must be daily killed. You have to get comfortable with a little bit of violence in the Christian life not against your fellow man, but against the sin that lives in you. You have to kill the flesh every day. That's the kind of violence to which we Christians are called. That doesn't mean self-harm. That doesn't mean self-mutilation. That doesn't mean wishing harm for others who, in our eyes, ought to be condemned for their failures. That means killing the sin that's in my heart, and when Jesus is talking about cutting off your hand and gouging out your eye, you know, if your hand causes you to sin or your eye causes you to sin, think about it. Don't do that. He's saying, gouge out, cut out the sin that's in your heart. And the mystery is, it still lives there. And the rest of the mystery, the rest of the mystery that Paul doesn't fully explain in uh, the beginning verse, where, uh, verse chapter 7, verse 14, when he says, I'm sold under sin, the rest of the mystery is that I belong to God and there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, that's the power and controlling principle of the life-giving spirit, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. 
This is not a criticism of God's laws, the commandments and ordinances of God that we are called and commanded to follow in the Bible. It's not saying there's something wrong with the Ten Commandments. They're good. We're supposed to meditate on the Ten Commandments day and night and do them. You know, blessed is he who does them, right? It's not a criticism of the law saying there's something wrong with God's commandments, but sin lives in us is so bad that once we have boundaries that he says don't cross, sin says, I'm going to cross that. That's how bad the sin that lives in me is. Right? So that sin, that's what it means when it says, so that sin might be shown to be utterly sinful or sinful beyond measure. Like when you get the measurement, the ruler, the line, don't cross this, you know, do this and don't do this. And then I veer away from that and I cross over that line. I cross over every line and pretty soon I'm going so fast that I can't even see the lines. It's all just a blur and I'm speeding and I'm pinned to the back of my seat, right? And that's, that's what sin wants to do in me. But Christ has plucked me out of that vehicle and set me on solid ground, firm on the bedrock of Christ's substitutionary atonement and salvation of our souls and ownership of our bodies, which is made manifest as we study and grow in love for the commandments of God and find grace and empowerment in him to do them. So, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. There's nothing weak about the law, but there's something weak about my flesh. God can't, the, the good law of God can't save me because something in my heart is so bad, it needs someone to save me. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In the crucifixion of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. In the crucifixion of the incarnate or enfleshed or embodied Son of God, all of sin's charges against us became invalid. That's what it means he condemned sin in the flesh. God became a man. Spirit was united with flesh, yet without sin. Eternal God somehow figured out a way to, to become a man like every one of us. Every man, woman, and child in this room is a man, right? A human. God became a man and in his flesh, in his body, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's have the servers come forward to give communion at this time.